listen to Death and All the Rest. I'm Lizzie Salwin. And I'm Zoe Inglefield. Hi and welcome back. Hi Zoe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, We just want to start today's episode by expressing our gratitude over the amount of love and support we have received for the first two episodes. Yeah, I know. It was totally unexpected and, to be honest, quite overwhelming. So thank you so much. And we hope you continue to enjoy this journey with us. So in today's episode, we are going to be getting into more of the nitty-gritty aspects of a terminal diagnosis. So it might not be your average dinner table conversation, But let's be honest, probably more of the interesting stuff. Yeah, that's right. All right, Zoe. So what do you think was the hardest part for your mum in her initial diagnosis? She kept a really positive attitude when she first found out she had cancer. So this is the very, this is the breast. Yeah, this is when she found out she had breast cancer, you know, never had cancer or anything before. She'd had a few hip replacements and Minor, well, I I mean, hip replacement isn't minor, but non-life-threatening. Yeah, she was a well lady. Yes, but she had had other medical procedures before. So when she found out she had breast cancer, the hardest thing for her was losing the breast. I can totally understand that. I mean, it's such a part of, for her, it was such a part of her womanhood. Femininity. Totally. And so when we went and spoke to the surgeon, they said to us that she could just have a lumpectomy where they remove the cancerous lump or she could have the full mastectomy. Right. And we went back and forth on it a little bit and I just sort of said to her, for me, I think I would want the whole breast off because I would be so paranoid. Get rid. Yeah, that that, that they wouldn't get it all or... Or the the possibility of not cutting out the cancer markers and having to go back in, which can happen. Exactly. And that's what the surgeon explained to us. He said, we can start off doing the lumpectomy, but there is a chance that you would need to come back and do the full mastectomy anyway. And having surgery and recovery, and that's never fun. So mum decided um, to have her breast off, which, like I said, was really hard for her because I know she was a fan of the girls. She told me often how proud she was of her boobs to survive breastfeeding two children and still she did have a good pair she did she she didn't overshare them but no she looked no. nice yeah yeah she, she knew how to dress them up in a, in a nice shirt when when the occasion arose yes so when she had the breast off we did discuss whether or not she would go in for a reconstruction so right. that is an option that is available to most women that have breast cancer they can have their breasts removed and then eventually, at a later stage, they can have a breast reconstruction. However, for mum, she felt that if she'd been maybe 10 or 20 years younger, she would have considered it. Yeah. But you have to totally recover from the mastectomy surgery, heal completely, and then you have to go back and have another surgery at a later date. Yeah, and from what I all know, my, or, or my experience just working post-op, I think part of the process was having expanders put in, which stretched the skin. Wow. So I think, I don't know if you've come back twice for that, but it's, I think it's quite a gradual process. And once the skin is stretched adequately, they will then put the new breast in. So I think it's quite a, a timely intervention. And that sounds like it would be painful. I don't know if it is or not. It, well, looking after people after surgery, they do put a local, lot of local anaesthetic around the area. But from what I know, 
initially they wake up and it's comfortable but once the local anesthetic wears off it can be extremely painful because your skin's stretching yeah and then it's obviously it's a scar tissue a lot of it isn't it put it this way your breasts will never be the same yeah so when mum did have her mastectomy they also took out some of her lymph nodes which they checked for cancer and they all came back totally clear so I was really surprised when they told us that they would still be going ahead with basically a year's worth of chemotherapy because at this point I'm thinking well if she doesn't have cancer anywhere else why are they going to make her do this treatment that's going to make her feel totally rubbish that's so true from what I know chemotherapy is often used as a treatment to prevent any cancer come coming back after surgery it's almost like there can just be one lingering cancer cell left going through the bloodstream that can sort of sit dormant almost. Yeah. Is that and the right word? Grow. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um, and chemotherapy, it's a systemic treatment, so it goes throughout the, the whole body, yeah. whereas um, radiotherapy actually targets the specific area where the cancer is. Mm. And I mean, I guess that's interesting because while my mum did do the round of chemo after her initial diagnosis, the cancer did still come yeah. back and spread pretty thoroughly throughout her body, yeah. not even two years later. And that's, again, same with my mum, who didn't have chemo for whatever reason, I don't know. All I know is she got the all clear and there was no need for further treatment. And similar timing, my mum's cancer also came back to the lungs like your mum. That's crazy. So I think it's of course, sort of the luck of the draw yeah. from what it seems. Because my friend's mum who had breast cancer when she was a bit younger and she had a reconstruction, she never did any chemo. And to this day, she's totally fine. It all depends on the type of cancer. Yeah. Some some cancers don't have surgery. They have chemo or radiation. Right. Some cancers, you have surgery and then radiation. And there's more than one type of breast cancer as well. well that's what I mean. There's, there's, well, there's the genetic type. Mm. That's why it's very important you go, Zoe. Yeah, I'll go and get a test done to see if I have the the gene, g- the gene, the the breast cancer gene, and and if I do, I will definitely consider getting a mastectomy and then a reconstruction, do an Angelina Jolie and get well, a nice brand new pair, maybe a couple of sizes bigger. Why not? And look at hers now. I actually haven't seen. I mean, I've never seen hers, but I mean, I've seen them in a red carpet outfit, and they look pretty good for. They, yep. So you need someone who's. Ha- had three natural babies. Yeah. But on a serious note though, Zoe, it is a really important thing for you to do. Yeah. And for when your two girls grow older. Because mm. um, my dad, my dad's mum, she also had breast cancer and she had had both of her breasts m- removed as well. Even more of a reason to go, I Zoe. know. I know. They can be scared now. Anyway. Oh, really? Well, I don't even actually, that's actually, what I mean, what do I do? Do I just go see my GP and ask them for the exactly. blood test? Yeah. That's, that would be the first start or they can refer you or... Um, but the the best place to start is your GP. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll have to reach out. And, and... and if you can, find out the type of um, breast cancer your mum had. Mm-hmm. I, it might be difficult to find out your grandma's, but um, yeah. I'll, I will do that. So yeah, the having the breast off was definitely the worst thing for my mum. What was the worst part for your mum, Lizzie? Well, hands down, the fucking wee bag. Oh, I can imagine. That thing was awful and you know what she never ever complained mum was actually quite if you knew um anyone who knows mum was quite a vain I don't know why I call her vain but she did really care a lot about her appearance she took pride in her appearance she did and she especially because towards the end of her life she worked at high-end fashion stores 
Um, so she wore a lot of nice clothes and she presented herself well. She had n- nice hair, which we talked about. You've like, said she liked to shop and... Yeah, and it was sort of her identity. Um, yeah, the bag was horrible. Fortunately, her sort of style of dress was layers or long skirts. She could actually hide the bag, but I remember on a, oh, a couple of occasions, I just wanted to sing it to the floor for her. I remember one day she was dressing um, a lady in the shop mm. and she bent over and her bag popped <gasps> all oh over the gosh. floor and I could just see the, the look in her and face. And you were in the shop with her? I was in the shop that day. I used to always go visit her. I was studying, so. Um, and I could tell in that moment she was either going to be, well, she was mortified, mm. but good old mum, she sort of would make a joke about it. I think she said, oh, the fish tank's full. Didn't you know I was the bag lady? So she sort of just you laughed, know, it, off laughed it off. But I knew inside it would be absolutely horrible. I remember actually, it's funny how sort of, I think we talk about role reversal a couple of times. I remember I took mum to 277 a couple of months after her surgery. And she obviously weed standing up right. to empty her bag. And we're in the toilets and there's a group of sort of youngish girls in there. And I don't, they obviously didn't know I was connected to mum. Yeah. And they, was, they started laughing and whispering, saying, we've got a, a man dressed up as a lady going wheeze in here. Um, oh, my gosh. I would have hit the roof. Oh, I, my blood absolutely boiled. Um, and I, I sort of didn't say anything, didn't say anything. Could your mum hear what they were saying or were she, I they think being she did, quiet? but she pretended she didn't. And then when they left, I said, girls, never judge a book by its cover. That's my mum, and she's just had a, such a big operation, she no longer has the ability to weed normally. Yeah. And, and they were they mortified? Mortified. Yeah, good. And and they'll probably never laugh about anyone ever again. No. You know, I wanted to, to say, listen here, you little fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to think. I probably would have. But I sort of thought it's it's, it's the way you react, react to a situation. Totally. And in the end, if I'd done that, I probably would have felt bad. Mum would have been mortified. Um, but, yeah, that bloody bag. The materials and things they use for stoma, the stoma bags, which is also used for um, people who use it for a poo bag, mm-hmm. has changed over the years. But mum had really sensitive skin. So literally for years she would have, it was all sort of emaciated around the site where you stick the gel on. Yeah. And every time you take a bag off, it would pull the skin. Oh. It was red and raw and it would bleed. And h- how many years did she have that for? Mum had the stoma for, from 2004 2008, four years. Wow. Yeah. And, and it would, would have just been painful that whole time. The whole time. But she never, ever complained. Yeah. Sometimes she, you know, try and be funny and we had a fish pond and she'd empty it in the fish pond if she did. <gasps> oh my but gosh, you poor fish. I know. She loves those fish. Anyway, on a positive note, she could hide it very, very well. Yeah. So it didn't sort of stop her dressing the way she did. Um, and that was about it, really. The only other thing was... Um, Losing her hair. Yeah, you said that before. See, my mum always kept her hair pretty short and she was definitely sad when she lost it and I I really, I don't like the wigs oh. that she had available and I, I went with her to pick the first one and it just, to me, it was always so obvious yeah. that she was wearing a wig and it's funny, I mean, I know they're very expensive and... You sort of they are it. because a lot of them they're made with real hair. Mums were always synthetic, and I oh. could tell because it it was almost a bit shiny like Barbie hair. Yeah, I think I actually think some of the wigs are funded 
Yes. That mum got, yeah. I think, a $500 credit. And she got one when she was first diagnosed. And then she got a better wig the second time round that was way more natural. Yeah. And so, she got a $500 voucher for that one as well. I don't actually know who makes the referral. Um, but it's good to know for people if, you know, going through this, it is funded. Um, and to find out where you get the funding from. I think it's from the hospice from what I know. Um, but one of mum's friends took her to this place and I think it cost about $1,000 and mum desperately tried to like it but hated it. In the end, um, one of her friends made her the most beautiful bandana. It was yeah. black with these big jewels on top. I've still got it. And she would wear she that would wear that. wig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously you said your mum didn't do chemo. So did the radiation make her hair fall out as well? Yeah, so when she got terminally ill, the, the brain the brain tumours, so that was in January, Yeah. Um, her hair fell out from the radiation. That was, that was... All over or just kind of patchy? All over. I didn't know that radiation did. See, my mum, she, she went and she was going to do radiation, so when my mum found out that her cancer had spread to the brain, initially she was doing the palliative chemo and they had said to her, oh, well, this is this is shrinking your tumours. It seems to be really effective. She had had a consultation for radiation, but they had basically said to her, the side effects are extreme fatigue, nausea, memory loss, yeah, they're horrible. Like, irritation, all this sort of stuff. And so because the chemo is being effective, it's not really worth your while to, to do the radiation. But then when she was getting progressively worse at a really rapid rate. We revisited doing the radiation. And I was like, man, these side effects are pretty gnarly because yeah. the way my mum's cancer was in her brain, I don't think they could pinpoint it as much as they could. That could I've heard of that before too, yes. They literally blast almost. <laughs> they literally make a mask. Yeah. You go in on the first day and they make a mask to fit the shape of your head and the area they're going to do the radiation mm. and basically blast it. Yeah. Um. So did your mum get a lot of those really horrific side effects? N- not really, but to be honest, the side effects can be quite similar to the cancer effects. Right. Or medication effects. Yeah. But no, see, no, I, mum, mum didn't. She didn't have um, any of those effects, but she was on that high dose of dexamethasone. Yeah. My mentioned, so she was high on life. With that, so yeah, yeah. And you had mentioned before that your mum had experienced quite a lot of pain throughout her journey with cancer, and and did you ever try any alternative <laughs> medications? Did you ever get her on the devil's grass or anything like that? No, that's that's actually a really good idea. No, I didn't. Um, so her pain was only really an issue in the last six months, right? Um, once it got to her brain, but um. No, didn't try anything. She did mention one day that she would quite like to have, I don't know where it came from, but a cocaine party. Oh! I wasn't quite sure where, but we didn't do that. Oh. Um, one last no, hurrah, why not? No, what about your <laughs> mum? Um, so pain wasn't a big issue for her, but appetite and nausea was pretty much one of the first really bad side effects that she had. Mm-hmm. Even the first time she did the chemo, she really struggled to eat anything. The only thing she would ever want to eat is KFC potato and gravy. Why not? Which we understand because it's so delicious. You dip those chips in there. Did she eat the chips or just the gravy? 
I, I mean, she, she would eat the chips, but, and I don't even think she'd eat the chicken. For her, it was just the potato and gravy. Something with absolutely zero nutrients in yeah, it whatsoever. Yeah, no nutrients, but just like <laughs> nice and soft and yeah. like a little bit of flavor and... Probably quite comforting. Maybe she had similar stuff like that in Canada when she was younger. Maybe, People yeah. There's, I mean, have you ever heard of poutine? That's, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so she definitely would gravitate towards KFC potato and gravy. And actually, this is the second time we've um, discussed KFC. I wonder how we go about getting them to sponsor the show. Absolutely. What a <laughs> fabulous idea. I mean, they sponsor The Bachelor. Why not us? Yeah. Um, so because she was having such a tough time with her appetite and with the nausea, I did get my hands on a bit of wacky backy. Oh, yes. And the first time she got sick, like before it was terminal, she was came around to stay out at our house. And I rolled her a little joint that she smoked. And we watched that. There's, have you seen that movie Pan? Is it that Peter Pan one? It's it's like a reimagining of Peter Pan. Yeah. And it stars um, oh, your Garrett favorite. Hedlund, yeah. who is my absolute... He's such a dreamboat. I absolutely love him. <laughs> but he plays like a young Captain Hook. Anyway... The movie could get a bit gets a bit weird, and there's like pirate ships floating through the sky in giant bubbles. And she was pissing herself oh laughing; God. she was cracking up. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, "Good on your mum! Like, get out there!" Because she never, she never, ever, ever would have touched. No, she maybe did a little bit in her youth, but as an adult, she would never. No, she was quite straight like that. She was pretty straight edge. Like she would have a couple of drinks here and there. I almost never saw. Totally opposite to my dad, I almost never saw my mum pissed. So she liked that. So did she continue or what? Well, happened? not really. The second time when she got re-diagnosed the second time around when it had metastasized and we, we knew she had four years left, so so we thought, oh, well, yeah. she really, her appetite really, really went yeah, downhill that, and it was actually. really difficult. So that time I actually decided, and I, I knew she had lung cancer, so I didn't think smoking anything would be in her best interest. Yeah. So I got my hands on a, and a bit more, yep. and I figured out how to make can of butter. Oh so my gosh! I made a big batch of marijuana butter, and I made her a big batch of cookies. Yeah, and they would like little tiny ones. I she would eat half a cookie, and wow. she'd feel a little bit better. Maybe feel like eating something, some potato and gravy. Yeah, some potato and gravy. Maybe something a bit more substantial. And she did that for maybe a few weeks, and then she kind of. I don't. She didn't really say why, but she just kind of like lost interest in it, and and I obviously didn't. Well, push she it. must have lost her taste. Often she they did. do, and I think, gosh, you've, you're faced with death, and then you can't even enjoy your blooming food. And that's that's so grim because, like, for mum and for me, like eating is one of the great joys that we have in life. Yeah. I absolutely love to eat, and so so did she. So I remember, like, makes me feel quite lucky now like mum never had a loss of appetite no and it was quite funny one day even in the hospice she said to me one day I want some sushi so I was mm. like oh great off I go came back and put it got some for both of us in different trays and someone rung so I left the sushi there and took the phone call well blow me down and come back she's nearly eaten the whole lot oh yours as well and not yeah and because the hospice would come around and you could sort of choose what you wanted yeah like Order off a menu almost. Kind of. Yeah. Um, And she was still waiting on that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I feel rather fortunate because... It's hard when they stop eating because I even, you know, had to have a really serious conversation with mum and I I said, 
mom, you're not eating anything. I, I would make her food. I would offer her food. She'd always say, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I would just off my own bat, just go and make it, her a meal and bring it out. And she wouldn't touch it. And I'd have to say to her, you understand that you need to fuel your body yeah. to live, to fight the cancer. And, and she just, she just couldn't face it. And she Aww. said, I know I have to eat, but I just can't stomach it. I can't stomach the thought of it. So we were lucky in that we discovered the insures. Yes, they're fabulous. So insures and Fortisips, and she would only have the vanilla flavor, but she could manage that. So even if she didn't want to have a meal, yep. she would have one of those shakes. So something. for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's kind of like a protein powder. But sort of like a, up and go, but... Um, a complete meal replacement. Yeah. So Used a lot in the hospital or in rest homes for the elderly. Yeah, so it's nutritionally balanced, so she could have one of those instead of a meal, and, and I'd leave her alone. So where did you find those, though? Uh, we were prescribed from, just initially through the GP. Oh, yeah, yeah. And hospice would also bring us some if we were sort of, it was emergency, we didn't have any. You can also just purchase them from Chemist Warehouse. Yeah, that's where I've and, seen them. Yeah. And I had done that a couple of times as well. But you you can get a, a script for those. Good. That's better than nothing, right? And yeah, it's got totally. Hydration and it's, it it's sufficient to kind of keep them going. And even the hospice nurse said it towards the end when she wouldn't eat anything. She's like, don't stress about it. If she's having the Fortisips or the insures, that's enough for her. Exactly. But it was pretty tough when she stopped yeah. taking those as well. So when mum was sort of in those last couple of weeks three times a day I would take out one of her drinks and give it to her and there was one day I was giving her one and as she swallowed it was just like her chest was making this horrendous squelching sound when and she was it, swallowing it yeah when she was trying to swallow and it was like it was like it almost like it wasn't going down properly or it sounded to me like it was going into her lungs well, or that's called aspiration and it's yeah. really common in the dying where their food or water Instead of going down their trachea to their stomach, it goes into their lungs. Yeah. And that's a lot of what people die of, aspiration pneumonia. And I just, when I heard that sound and I explained it to the hospice no. nurse, she, she just said, that's okay, you just need to stop. Yeah. Stop. She liked those lemonade ice blocks. She, she did. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing she continued to have right up until sort of the very end is she would have probably a couple of little just lemonade popsicles a day. Yeah. Because it's really important to keep, not necessarily, you know, Keep them hydrated, obviously, but if they don't feel like eating or drinking a whole heap, you still want to make sure that their mouth is always moist. Well, it's only natural to want to want to help someone or, yeah. or sort of feed them or nourish them. I think that's the word. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if you've ever had that dream when you're like you fall asleep and you've got a cold and your nose is blocked. Oh. I sometimes get this nightmare where I'm so deathly thirsty and I'm drinking water out of a tap in my dream and my my thirst is just never quenched yes. and then you wake up and you're like <gasps> and you just need a glass of water because yes. your mouth is so dry and I just kept thinking god forbid she's she's lying there feeling like that and can't so, tell us or something yeah. yeah so it's always you know good to get those little sponges on the stick yep. and use those to like moisten their mouths and yep. have a couple by the bedside yeah and mum died in December so some of her girlfriends came around they had a glass of bubbles with mum and um I got a little glass of champagne and put some of the Aww. champagne on the little stick and put it in her mouth. And she had a couple of sucks, but you know, yes. ma maybe don't do it with the whiskey to someone <laughs> who's got throat cancer because that shit burns. Oh yeah. Um, and on that note, Zoe, what did you find when people would say, what can I do? Or what was or, most helpful? Yeah. For me, the number one most helpful thing was anybody coming and 
either entertaining the kids, yeah. playing with the kids, or taking them out for the day. Oh, yeah. My time was so consumed with looking after mum. Oh, you don't realise, but it's it, it's 24 hours. And and they, they really got sidelined, which was tough for them. You know, they, they're with they're little. Like they're my, little, little. Yeah. So Sadie was three. My other daughter was just turned one. So And I mean, your husband is helpful when he can, but he essentially well, he was still was at work. At work, yeah. So, and I think it was just hard for them. They, especially my older daughter, Sadie, she, she didn't understand what was happening with grandma. Oh, no. And I could definitely tell she started to get like a little bit scared of grandma because well, you know you would. they look so different yeah so for me if you know someone who is going through this with a loved one and they have kids take them out take them to the zoo to kelly Towton's, to the park anywhere but if they're not comfortable with you taking the kids maybe you don't know them that well or or whatever just take them just go to the house take take a puzzle or something yeah. just entertain the kids preferably outside give them some attention that was yeah. that was amazing also Meals are great. I'm I'm never gonna say don't bring me a meal. I'll maybe say don't bring me another fucking lasagna because no <laughs> shit, I got five of them. And people, I think that it's people think of lasagna as the ultimate comfort food, and, and which it, it is, is. It is. And I, I'm I am gonna say like shout out to Laura, my friend. Her lasagna was hands down the absolute best. It was unreal. I think. I think, did I have some of that? Oh, I can't remember. There was a lot but of How them. would you know? There were so many lasagnas. Could you tell one from the other? Um, <laughs> but definitely meals. Meals help. Maybe if you're not sure what they like, you can say, hey, I'm bringing you a meal. I'm not taking no for an answer. Would you rather have a curry or like a big roast vegetable salad? Like That's, what would you like? That is such a good point. Because people, you don't want to put anyone out. You're like, oh no, don't worry. Don't make us a meal. We're okay. But people genuinely, genuinely want to help. Yeah. If they do ask. Be straight up. Tell them what you need. Yeah. Say, can you take this bag of laundry to the laundromat? Or can you can you put on a load for me? Or can you hang up the laundry? Or Yeah. And, and I didn't ask people to generally do that, but I should have. Yeah. And I mean, in the time you... you you are sort of don't want to put anyone out. You're so sort of your mind's scattered, really. Mm. Um, what did you find most helpful? Well, obviously, I didn't have um, young children, um, and I was extremely fortunate that I was at university and I could take the semester off. Yeah, and that dad had recently retired, and we had my auntie who had also well, she no she hadn't retired, but she she did stay with us for a couple couple of months to look after mum. Again, meals. I remember one night her best friend, Shelley, came over. She'd been at work all day, brought everything and just made us the most beautiful roast. Yeah. Didn't ask, just did it. Yes. And um, that sort of stuff is just so meaningful. I always had this thing in my head of, if she can't be alone. Yes. I wouldn't want to leave her. So um, sometimes people would say, what can I do? And I'd just say, do you, would you like to come and sit with mum for a bit yeah. while I'll, I'll go to the shopping and I said to them you don't have to do anything do anything or, mm. or talk to her but just if she if she's awake just chat or hold her hand it's the yeah. simple things and for something else that worked well in our household is we all sort of had a night off each yeah so you, dad would go meet his friends at the local pub I would go out and God, excuse me, the things I did. But anyway, um, we won't, we won't <laughs> what did you do? I just would end up in town a lot on my own. Wow. Like I'd go out with people, but yeah. one night I was at the casino. Line drunk. <laughs> it's actually a scary thing. I was very vulnerable. Yeah. 
that's another thing that I actually found really helpful was just having having you there, having my other really close, like my core group of girlfriends would come and they would just hang out with me. They would, and we would just sit in the room with mom, we'd chill out. Yeah. We would just gossip about absolutely whatever. And it was just so comforting. Sort of normality in a way, isn't it? Yeah, just not to be alone. That was, that's what I didn't ever really want to be. Yeah. But it's also a tricky situation because I only had a very select number of people not like as in a physical number but there was only a select few people that I wanted to have around all the time yeah and it's just the the my group of girlfriends that I feel know me really 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 well yeah well and they also knew your mum and yeah I think I know where you're going with this they are scary to look at let's be honest yes yeah and you know a lot of she means um people dying not my girlfriends (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of the time you sort of feel obligated to, to protect them from what they see. You don't yeah. want them to feel... Well, I just know I was very, very aware of other people's feelings. Having your select few is really helpful. And also, in a way, which I felt, I, would, I did want to maintain mum's dignity in some way. Yeah. Like, I don't think mum would have wanted, you know, everybody to see how she looked. Yeah. I remember one day before, you know, she was still talking she just looked at herself and said I'm just so ugly Aww. and started crying and like what can you say like I thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world yeah um even though you know with her no hair and she was just so I mean sweet she's just looking. still your mum like yeah. I think my mum was absolutely adorable I like know. and she and I have a photo like lying in bed having a cuddle with her like you know in the last sort of day that she was alive and I'm just like oh she was so cute I she know she's like a little pixie we think that but and you but know, it's scary for other people and, and I understand that but also maintaining their dignity yeah that's what I was sort of going like yeah you know people that come out of the woodworks which, oh. which naturally does happen and, and and you know what I think this is what I was going to say in terms of what's not helpful yeah with my mum my mum knew what was happening she knew that she, she was did. dying yeah she there was no there's no bed around the bush. No. She was on her right way yeah, out. Yeah, she, she knew what was happening. And she did not want people doing these big, over-emotional, like, oh, soppy goodbyes. And It is so rude. And it's it's because it's not for her benefit, it's for yours. Yeah. And I think because mum obviously has a lot of cousins and friends and she was people well from known. her childhood. Yeah, yeah. For, but from Canada, you know, they all wanted to FaceTime with her and oh. she absolutely didn't want to. And there was a couple of people that I would let do it because they were her, you know, long time, yeah. either, either a relative or or a super, super close family friend. And sometimes I could sort of, they would be saying things like, you know, I, we'll see each other again one day. And, oh, you know, like, we'll, we'll, I'll always, I'll miss you and I'll always cherish the, the memories that we have together. And mum, like, this is when she's still talking and lucid and she's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. And it's sort of like, oh. and I got to the point where when people would want to speak to mum or when people would want to come and see mum, I'd have to be like, keep it light. You know, you're, you're welcome to say, Hey, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And you know, you're in my thoughts. But you don't need to... People do become very self-indulgent, don't they? Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's the drama. I I'm not too sure, but it's Well, I it's think really they just want to know, like, I've said my goodbyes. Yes. But it's yes. like, yeah, okay, great. You can say your goodbyes, but I don't think... I don't think you actually need to say, goodbye, you're dying, no. I'll miss you. I think you can just say, hey, you know what? You're my best uh, friend and I love you. Or, yeah. you know, like... Simple. As though you, you know, they're going on holiday or something. Yes. You know, like, yeah, just be exactly like, hey... Right. 
yeah. I love you. Yeah. That's all you need to say. That you is. don't need to. And that goes for your friends. Like yeah. when you when you first get the news and, and people don't know what to say when you yeah. tell them. I remember one of the nicest things or most memorable things someone said to me was they didn't go all, all over the top or make me feel awkward. They just said, well, this is happening. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Yeah, which is exactly what you want to hear. And gave me a hug. And it was sort of, that was it. I'm personally, I'm not a big hugger. I like to be hugged by a very few number of people. Mm -hmm. And even then, like a quick two-second embrace and a a pat on the back is is enough for me. And like, we're good. And I felt really overwhelmed and smothered when people, especially people I didn't really know that well that maybe were more like of mum's friends or acquaintances and they're clutching me to their bosom and crying and telling me oh how brave and strong I am and all this sort of stuff and I just was like "Uh uh-huh okay thank you like they generally mean well I know they do it's not and it's and that's probably very comforting to to someone else but but also there's I'm sure there's people out there that would love to be like embraced yeah. In that way, it's it's ju- it's just not me, and, and I don't know how I can say okay, thank you. Like, let's just high five it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think you know it's a way about reading people's signals, and if if you know the person, you know who's dealing with it, you know them well enough to to know how to respond to them. Yeah, I remember the actually the worst the worst thing someone said to me was I don't know how it came up. We we're at a party or something, and um someone said I'm sorry to hear about your mum and I was like oh you know yeah thank you um and she said well I know how you feel and I was like oh really what's happened she's like well my cat's 17 (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) okay and I was sort of like I felt were you like what the fuck are you trying to say to me? No, I then sort of felt myself comforting her, like, oh no, that's, her that's cat really is, old. And you're such a like cat lover, you'd be like, oh poor seventeen year old puss. Oh my god, I know, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing, and you know, I carried on talking about the puss, and um, oh. you'd be pleased to know the pussy outlived mum. Oh no. <laughs> oh, anyway. poor old puss. Um, so one thing. That is important to do as well when someone is in those final stages of life. And it can be a bit awkward is is staying connected to that person. And you have talked a little bit about it. Like you said you like to have, um, you'd sit and chat with your mum or... I just would hold her hand 24-7 basically. I I honestly found it a little bit awkward at first when mum was no longer able to speak. Yeah. So mum and I, our relationship was very chatty. I would call mum constantly we would chat all the time and usually just about absolute rubbish like we we liked a lot of the same reality dating tv shows she would have loved the new season of maths oh she knew she wasn't a maths we were very much into we liked love island we liked bachelor (laughs) we loved bachelor in paradise if you want to watch a bachelor like paradise is where it's at and of course, I've been keeping up with the latest of New Zealand Bachelor. Oh, yes. Because yep. my good friend Sinead is on that. So yep. go Sinead. She's doing quite well, yep, too. Yeah, get that, Rose. Um, but, yeah, so when she stopped being able to talk, I felt super awkward. Because I'm not one of those people, I, I can't have one-sided conversations. Yes. Like, I, if someone's not giving back, I really... I don't know. It's just hard for you. Yeah, it's hard for me. I don't know where to go. Like an example of that is 
when I first had my baby or one of my babies, um, I would go into the changing rooms or the, the, the mums, the parents' rooms at the mall, right? Yeah. And you're there changing your kid's nappy and the lady next to me is like chatting away to her newborn <gasps> baby, oh. like constantly, I guess, commentating what she's doing and talking and talking and talking. I think that's a talking. new thing, parenting thing, you, you talk to your baby. Well, you're supposed to. And I understand that it's good for the baby. It helps them develop language and... I guess get to know your voice and everything like that. But I just remember thinking like that is ridiculous. Like <laughs> you are talking to someone who clearly cannot talk back and my poor children, like I never spoke to them until, you know, I mean, I would I yeah. obviously speak to them a little bit, but I wouldn't just throughout the day, just like natter Have away. With your three month old. No, no. And my three and a half year old now will not shut up. So I'm <laughs> sure, you know, I haven't damaged her Yep, irreversibly from not doing that. But so it was a real struggle for me when I would sort of try and talk to mum and then she's just there not talking back. So for me to find a way to sort of be comfortable in her silence, I and, you know, I knew she wasn't up for watching TV or anything at this point. I knew that, Lizzie, you had told me that touch and hearing are the last two senses to go. Yeah. So I downloaded her favourite book of all time yes. outlander as an audiobook and i would just play the audiobook and i would just sit on the bed and like just moisturize See, her hands perfect. and feet and it's sort of like i felt comfortable because i didn't feel like i had to fill the silence with no. awkward one-sided conversations but i was there with her she yep. knew i was you know she would have touching her hands and her feet and just that. keeping her company and yeah. you know outlander's always been something that we've kind of bonded over so yeah, what would you guys do to stay connected? I that the I can't think of a better thing to have to have done. Um, music was your mum into music? Not really, but I remember one night she decided she wanted to play all her funeral songs, <gasps> so those went on for on repeat for about five hours. But did she choose them? Yeah. So did you have a clear idea of what to play at her funeral? Yeah, she chose them. She shit. See, <laughs> my mum and I never spoke about that, and actually, I think it's really important. Before someone gets sick, like just turn to your loved ones now and ask them, do they want to be buried or cremated? Yes. Do what are their favorite funeral songs? Are they a donor? Yeah. Would they like to be buried in a suit, in their pajamas? Like, what would they like to wear? Because Mum and I never spoke about any of this sort of stuff. And then when I found out she was dying, it was it was too late. I couldn't ask and be like, hey, so anyway, you know how you're dying soon? Um, when you do die, what, what music do you want to play? Like, Well, what... you could have asked that, but it's about... Oh, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, but I how... don't felt... I wouldn't have felt comfortable. Exactly. But there like, should be... There could be ways of of bringing the subject up. Like, yeah. it's something that... I don't know where you, you get the information from, but... You could just say, well, hey, who's your, who's your favourite musician? Out of all time, like, what's your yes. all-time favourite yeah. song? Yeah. And just go at it from that perspective but I just never it's awkward it is yeah. bloody awkward see um I was very lucky once again because you know mum had it had it all set out she'd have days where I'd be in a wardrobe and I'd have to say write down who's getting what oh um, see is, my mum did make a list of stuff and yeah you know she left most of the junk to my poor sister-in-law who <laughs> she's gonna have to figure out what to do with all the all the like hordes and hordes of furniture because my mum was not 
not a hoarder, but she had a big house and she definitely packed it she out. She collected things. Oh, yeah. She had lots yeah. of little um, dinky things around, but it was definitely a picture of her and in, in her journeys. Yeah. But on a yeah, serious note, it is really important to, to ask those questions. And um, it doesn't have to be because they're dying. You know, it's just a good thing to know in general. Well, that's why I think, no, that's why I'm saying I think it's better to ask these questions before someone is dying. Yeah. Maybe just, or even just do it for yourself. Open up a little Word document, Mm -hmm. maybe write down what you would like to happen in the event of your own death, and give it to a loved one. Let them know what's up. Because there was so much stuff. Obviously, because my mum was an only child, and my dad had already passed away, and really it was just me that was responsible for everything. When she did die, and I'm at the funeral home, and the funeral director, he was asking me, Okay, so when did your grandparents get married? What was your grandfather's um, occupation? How many times had your mum been married? I remember at the time being there, being like, okay, Kathy actually hasn't been dead 24 hours. Yeah. Your head's spinning. Yeah. And these questions were just insane. I know. But it and happens to, it, it, that's that's the process, isn't it? Yeah. And I, 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 don't, I wasn't like super thrilled with, with how it all went down and I can talk a little bit more about that later but the guy I was like can you just shut up like he was talking so much <laughs> so much of what he was saying was so unnecessary because I had spoken to him a few times before mum had actually died oh. like on on hospice's advice they were like you need to contact the funeral director so this is what they don't tell you this is what maybe a lot of people don't know is when someone is going to die and hospice are in charge of sort of that care yeah if the person's at home with you, it's your job to reach out to the funeral home of your choice and say, okay, so... While they're alive, eh? Yeah, while yep. they're alive. Basically, because once someone's died, you've got to move pretty quickly. Yeah, like, yeah. they don't... Bodies don't have a long shelf no, life. No, like, unreserved. Around. Yeah. So, you have to contact the funeral home and let them know, hey, you're going to be expecting my mum in, like, <laughs> the next week or so. Yeah. And they were like, okay, so... Because my mum lived in Milford and then she came out and stayed with me in Riverhead. Her GP and everything like that was close to her house in Takapuna. And they were like, okay, well, the GP or a doctor that knows her, once she's died, they have to sign off yeah, her body. Yeah, they have body. to come over. Yeah, and my mum's doctor was like, oh, I'm not coming out to Riverhead. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And they were trying to tell me that I needed to go register my mum at, like, my local GP as a new patient. I'm like, she's, she's not- going to be dead I'm so. like, she's going to live a fucking week. I've got to go <laughs> fill out paperwork. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then the funeral home said, oh, it's all good. We can we can put her in the back of the hearst and do a drive-by at the GPs. And You're joking. No, they said they would do that. <laughs> they said they could drive by the GPs and the GP could come outside, like poke her head in and be like, yep, that's Kathy. Off she goes. <laughs> I mean, the services, you don't even but understand. What if it was like in the middle of the night? Well, they wouldn't. I don't think they would have come and picked oh, her no, up. Oh, they in the don't because night. that's right. Mum died at um three three forty five, and she hung around till about midday. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mum died at six thirty. Remember? And I was like, okay, she's died. Let's call the funeral home. So I called the funeral home, and I'm like, okay, Mum's passed away, and I'm not, I'm not like scared of death or any or dead bodies or anything like that. But I was like, I don't think I need her in the house overnight like no. I don't the kids I because I knew she was dying my kids had gone to my mother-in-law so they weren't in the house but I didn't want them coming back and her still being there no, it's just it's I was sort of like oh let's just let's get her looked after so I called the funeral home and was like oh you know she's passed away 
um, can you come oh. and get her? And they were like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we've got a couple of others to go pick up out in Ori where it's been a busy night tonight. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry to add, add someone else yeah, to Yeah, I'm sorry list. it's such a popular night to die, but um, could you come and grab her? So eventually they were like, oh, yeah. I was like, just, I, I don't know, are they are they some hunky old dudes that have died? Maybe just chuck her in with them. She'd love yeah, it. Yeah. Um, she wouldn't mind. She seriously would not have minded of hung, bunking down with them for the ride. No, she wouldn't have cared. Um, but eventually it was like, I mean, it was close to midnight when they came, right? It was like 11.30 at night. Gosh, I don't even remember. See, my recollection is... It was no, hours. We sat with her for hours. But did we have the pizza after? I didn't have the pizza at all because I was oh, in no, the room the whole time. So, anyway, I can't remember, we but it was definitely pepper. a couple of hours. <laughs> it was. I think it was more than a couple. It was yeah. like quite a few. It was like late at night yeah. by the time they came. Going back to what we were talking about before. So there, there is so much stuff that you really don't know that you need to know. Like if you don't know what your grandparents all did and when your parents all got married and there's not going to be anyone else to ask, it's yeah. a good idea to find out that information now. now. And that's not being morbid. It's it's just facts. It's that's being practical. To, it's, that's right. That's, there, there's there's a practicality that comes with. We should with write a, a checklist. Yeah, like a maybe we will like a what to do in the event of a death. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's probably some already out there, but I mean, and I'm surprised hospice don't give you this information. I'm actually, and maybe they should. I'm actually surprised, and and you know, as a nurse and looking after patients a lot in the hospital. It does amaze me how the lack of education there is mm. around death resources and what to expect. Yeah. Um, it, it's mind-blowing. So, again, going back to this sort of podcast, if we can provide any sort of help or knowledge. Yeah, and information that may that, be that, handy. that'll come in handy, then, then that's, how, that's, that's our aim. And I do just want to add that hospice did actually sign off on mum – uh, at the funeral home, so she didn't have to do a drive-by of the GP. <laughs> and I think we have overloaded you with enough information for one day, so please tune in next week as we continue the conversation. Yeah, your head must be spinning about now, but hopefully there's a few little bits and pieces that you know now that you didn't know before. That's right. All right, see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. And that's us for today. Thank you so much for listening to us waffle on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at death and all the rest. And if you have a question or you'd like to share your story, you can email us at daatrpodcast at gmail.com. Bye. This podcast was born out of a need to talk about our personal experiences with death. To be clear, we are not mental health professionals. We are simply sharing our stories. 